0: Good evening church! How are we all doing today? Can you believe we are almost a week to Christmas? I'm not used to being even in 2020 and now I've got to get used to 2023 sorry 2022. Um, as we come into this Christmas season you might notice that we sing different songs, um, there is different stage decoration but the truth is that this, the thing that we do to come that the thing that we do when we come together is the same we're still coming to worship We are still coming to to glorify our God. We are still coming to to stand and marvel at His grace. Um, And can I invite you to stand as we sing with the angels, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. Can I invite you to stand as we sing together?
1: have an opportunity to reflect on what the lord jesus has done i want to share with you a verse from 1 corinthians chapter 10 one that you may not be very familiar with the apostle paul says therefore my dear friends flee from idolatry i speak to sensible people judge for yourselves what i say is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of christ when we take communion it is not just a memorial we don't just remember the death of christ we actually participate in the death of christ we participate by trusting by faith in his death we're actually participating in the ancient world sharing a meal came with obligations Uh, eating with someone expressed solidarity with that person and if you then ate with that person's adversary it would break the bonds of fellowship with the community and with those that you'd formerly communed with in the same way we who are part of the body of christ that's you and me and who share in the bread at the Lord's Supper are in solidarity with Christ we flee idolatry and we together in solidarity trust in the Lord Jesus so the Lord's Supper is not a neutral activity taking the Lord's Supper joins us to Christ by faith that is what we remember we remember Christ's death but more than that we participate in his death we stand in solidarity with him And we're bound in relationship with Him for all eternity. That is the gravity of the Lord's Supper. It's not just a a memory, a memorial. It is a participation by faith. So let us come before the Lord. Let us pray. I want to give you an opportunity to bring to the Lord those things in your life that you know have not pleased Him in the past week. we can be confident and bring those to the Lord knowing that he will forgive us. His death 2,000 years ago pays for our sins today. His blood covers our sins today. Dear Father, we bring our wrongdoings to you. We know, Lord, that we have failed at times this week failed to live with you as our Lord failed to love you with all our heart and all our minds and all our strength and Lord we are sorry and we thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers our sins and we ask you Lord that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might live for you this week live for you as our Lord and Lord as we now participate in the Lord's Supper As we come in faith and we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we stand in solidarity with him, I pray, Lord, as we feed on the Lord Jesus, you might give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll ask you to stand and come forward and take of the cup and the bread. Please take hold of them, take them back to your chair. These are for those of you who call on jesus as lord if that's not yet you then feel free to stay in your seat no one will think anything less of you and uh, if you would like to know more about the christian faith please come and see me afterwards just remembering the death of christ we are participating in it let us trust in him for our salvation by faith and as we eat and drink together we eat in solidarity with christ we say lord you are our king you are our ruler you are our lord let us drink amen
0: I invite you to stand if you sing. now to lower yourself to be like a servant born as a man die a cross on the cross so that we might be brought into a right relationship with almighty God oh how glorious oh how wonderful that will always be our song we give you praise in Jesus name amen before you take a seat why don't you turn to someone next to you and greet them welcome to the Subi Church the book of isaiah chapter 52 verses 7 to 10.
2: <laughs> okay. how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace who bring good tidings who proclaim salvation who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has confronted his, comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God.
3: Thank you, Hosea and Callan. Boys, good job. Welcome to Subi Church everyone, Um, my name is Peter, I'm one of the elders here and uh, we're going to do our scripture at Subi, do you know what the verse is, the address? Luke 2 verse 11, do you know, maybe I should say, or David did last week, he said it and then you'll follow just to help us out a little bit, shall I I do that? Today in the town of David is born a saviour, no saviour has been born, he is the Messiah, the Lord. Is that right? Okay, well, let's do it together. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today in the town of David is born to you a saviour. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I got it wrong, didn't I? It's born to... to it, no, let me read it properly. Has been born to you... Okay, I got it. I'll get it right next, next verse. But the good thing is you guys know what it is. And that's the important thing. All right. Primary school kids, it's time for you to go to your kids subi kids and uh, the year sixes are graduating today so it's going to be a bit of excitement there and uh, we look forward to them the year sixes going into the youth ministry well welcome to subi church we're glad you're here if you've been here many times we're glad you're here if it's your first time we're even more glad you're here and i pray that you feel welcomed and soon certainly make yourself known to someone with a red lanyon on out, out in the lobby or to those people who get it around you and, and regulars in Subi, don't forget to talk to someone you don't know around you as you leave the service today. We want to be the friendliest church in the locality, don't we? We want to be as we want to welcome people as Christ has welcomed us. Okay, the connect cards. You know the physical card, you also know the QR card. It's for everybody, new and regulars, because we want to just Make sure that we are ministering to everyone, whether it's your first time. We're praying for the things that are on your heart, that we're answering the questions that you have. And if you're not here, that we can follow up and see if you're okay. So that's for everybody, the connect cards. Now it's the time of offering. We don't do that physically. You know that. You know how that works. We do have information sheet out the back if you want to know account details and such so that you can set up um, automatic payments and such. Um, there's also a offering box on the left on the way out. We give to the Lord, not because we have to, because we get to. As he has given to us generously, we give back some of that that belongs to him already to him, and then he blesses us in return. Good deal? Really good deal, yeah. He, it's good for us, so let's pray about that. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God and you are always faithful providing for us in all areas of our needs Lord you even provide things that are not always well received but we know that you're in control and all things are for our good we thank you Lord that um, you always provide a way of escape and temptation Lord you always provide a meaning to difficult things in our lives you also provide our physical needs and we're grateful and as we give back to you out of obedience May you use what we give to you, Lord, for your kingdom, for the furtherance of your kingdom, not just here in Subi and Perth and WA, but throughout the whole world, for the praise and glory of your name. Amen. A couple of upcoming events. Um, the City of Subiaco Christmas Lunch. Now, we get to um, partner with City of Subiaco to run this uh, community Christmas lunch. And we get to share the gospel, we get to share the love of Christ. So it's a great opportunity and that's happening on Christmas Day, this next Sunday between 12.30 and 2.30 in um, just down the road here at the third place. Um, so we're still looking for some volunteers to help set up and also to help clean up afterwards. The set up is 10.30 to 12.00. The clean up is 2.30 to 4.30. Please let us know on your Connect card or um, let someone know their lanyard and they'll fill out the Connect card for you. Um, but we'd love to know if you can be available for that. The Christmas services are on Christmas well, New Year, Christmas um, Eve and Christmas Day, Saturday and Sunday, coming up. And so they're going to be the normal service times. I'm not going to tell you what they are because you're here so you know what they are. But um, it's going to be a different service. It's going to be child-friendly, so we won't have um, Subi kids. The children will be in with us. Please invite um, your friends, your neighbours, your family. To come along it's going to be child friendly it's going to be about an hour you must know that um for this christmas service because on a saturday evening and sunday we're not going to have communion (gasps) oh i can feel it it's like no it's okay it's only going to happen just this once because it's a christmas service and um, we have some time constraints we also have volunteer constraints and we want to focus on um, the birth of Jesus Christ. The theme of this service will be come and adore him. Trust me, the next Sunday we're going to have communion again. All right, It's going to be okay. Subi Youth uh, Summer Camp is coming up 13th to the 16th of January. That's a Friday to a, a Monday. It's going to be a lot of fun for the youth. Year sixes are invited. The ones from year six this year, they'll be in year seven next year, they're invited. So register for that, use your Connect card um, or get on the the website, register for that. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of great teaching. Jordan's um, got a great team who are going to make sure that your youth are not only having a lot of fun, but they're going to be fed the word of God and they're going to enjoy it. So please register for that. And the SUBI kids summer schedule. Okay, we, we have got um, obviously no SUBI kids next week because it's New Year, uh, Christmas Eve. I keep wanting to say New Year's Eve. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I'm rushing it a bit, isn't it? Anyway, but then Christmas Eve and um, the first of sorry, New Year's Eve and the first of January, we won't have any SUBI kids either. So the next two weeks there won't be any SUBI kids. Then we go into our SUBI kids summer schedule. So the 7th and the 8th, all the way through to the end of January, we are going to have Subi kids, the whole bunch of classes, right from bubs all the way through the year sixes at the 9 o'clock service. So it won't be at this service and it won't be at 10.45. And we do that because we have a limited number of volunteers. We're going to give our volunteers a bit of a break. And we reckon because it's holiday season that you can be flexible. So either you take your kids in with you. Don't skip church. Don't do that. And online is never as good because we don't get to see your faces. And we want to sort of rub shoulders with you and, and, and it's good for us. Good God tells us to do that. But if you have to, um, if you want your kids to be in Subi Kids, it'll be the 9 o'clock service. All right? So that'll be the summer schedule. Now I'm going to hand over to the Chairman of the Elder Board, Sean Cooke.
4: I promise this won't be a common occurrence where we tag team every week. My name is Sean Kum. Um I'm one of the elders uh, at Suway Church. It's not easy for me tonight to be here to give you this announcement. It's just a short one. On behalf of the elder board, I would like to update all of you regarding to a movement in staff, in church staffing. Jamie Boland was asked to step down by Pastor Ben because of potential conflict of staff conflict, and Jamie has accepted out of concern for the church. The Boland elders has accepted this decision. We want to acknowledge the Boland family continue to be a very important part, a beloved part of the ch- uh, church community here. Please keep them in your prayers and ask God's blessing and direction for their lives and family. I would like to let you note know too that this announcement was made in consultation between the elders and Jamie. I ask that you respect both Jamie's and the elders' decision on this. Thank you.
2: This week's Bible reading are taken from the books of Genesis and 2 Samuel. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 B to 16. "I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever."
5: Good evening, everybody. Good to be with you. Good to see you. Now, before we jump right into the sermon, one of the things that um, uh, we want to do, as always, is that one of the things that we do as a church for every Christmas is that we want to recognize God's blessing and God's generosity to us in Christ. And as you will see in the sermon, in some sense, His scandalous grace towards us. We want to be people uh, of the same generosity, of the same blessing, so one of the things that we do every year is that we take the opportunity as a church to partner with another organization uh, to give as a love offering so this year we have mentioned that we wanted to do something about the ukraine um crisis and we have partnered with the international church of bucharest so i think over the past few weeks you we have received a flyer like this to um give you more information so one of the things that they have been doing a few of the things have been doing is that they have ministries to the refugees and they are focused right at this moment, is to meet the physical needs of the refugees, you know, from medical costs to transportation costs, uh, through clothing to um, winter items uh, during this time. And one of the great uh, things to hear is that, you know, some of the refugees, they have also become members of the church there as well, and they are going to be be having a Christmas service next week, and one of the things they want to uh, do with All this offering is to provide more um, russian bibles to these people to share the gospel with these refugees and really to display and preach the gospel message to to them so one of the things that we want to encourage you to think about really uh, and pray about and reflect carefully is you know how you can give and offer to uh, the church so again more information you can be found in this uh, leaflet so the website is there please know that you when you do give it is um, done in uh, u.s dollars so please be aware of that, and also, lastly, very important for us as well. Christmas is next week, so in your city, you should see a you know a card like this. Take these cards, and in some sense, these cards are not for you; it is for people you are going to invite. One of the greatest blessings as a people of God is that we can come and we celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus. Uh, so there are information about our services next week. Um, So you can give this to your friends, your families, your colleagues, and pray about who you can invite to come to really, so that they can hear about the gospel message, to hear about what it means that Christ has come for us. Now I'm going to pray before we go to the sermon. As always, this is an opportunity for us to pray for the people that we are planning to invite, so please, just in your own seat, pray silently for a few minutes, and then I'm going to Lead us in prayer and then we are going to look at God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this evening and we are reminded and remember what's happening in Ukraine. For many of us here, we can celebrate Christmas in relative comfort. But for them, they are displaced from their home. They are in another, another country. They are refugees, but yet The gospel message, the grace that you have shown us in and through Christ remains the same. And so, Father, we do pray for them. We do pray that in this season, that no matter what circumstances that they are going through, that they can find hope and grace in Christ. We also pray for ourselves as we think about, as we pray about who we can invite for the Christmas services next week. Father, we want to recognize, in some sense, this is a great opportunity for us to invite people to church. To hear the gospel message, to hear the grace that you have shown us in the coming of Christ. And so, Father, we ask that your Spirit will help us to do that. To give us the courage to invite gently, to tell people to come. And also for those who are coming, we do pray for soft hearts. And that includes us here this evening. As we hear from your word, as we hear about this scandalous grace you have shown us in Christ. So Father, we ask and pray that your spirit will do that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me start with um, telling you about one of the most anticipated movies in 2019. And that movie was the climax of a decade long project that started all the way in 2008 with a combined 21 movies slowly building up to the climax of that movie. And with each movie building up to that story, you know, you have pieces of the puzzle of a larger story, you know, started being reviewed more and more with each movie. And then after more than a decade with a combined 21 movies, the time has come to tell the climax of that story in 2019. Now, some of you immediately would recognize what movie I'm talking about. Do we know what movie that is? No. Well, it is the movie Avengers Endgame, right? The Avengers Endgame is the endgame of a project that started a long time ago. It was planned in such a way that each movie, they you have know, snippets of a larger narrative. And it is because of these movies that, you know, people have started talking about post-credit scenes. And it becomes a topic of discussion among the fans. And over the course of you know, the decade and all these 21 movies, what happens is that Avengers Endgame became a very, very and highly anticipated movie. And it did not disappoint when it uh, was released in 2019. It became one of the highest-grossing movies of all time. It made a total of uh, two point eight billion dollars worldwide. It was the fastest movie to reach the earnings of five hundred million. It did that it did that in three days. It did took the movie five days to earn one billion, eight days to earn one point eight billion. People were eager for this movie to come out. They were eager to watch the climax of the story. And for many fans they watched it a number of times in the cinema. And in one sense that's understandable, isn't it? You know, if you are someone who's invested in the storyline of this Marvel universe, you want to know how the superheroes would defeat that supervillain Thanos, isn't it? The beat bad guy. You've been waiting for ten years for the climax. So how is this Thanos going to be defeated? And that sense of anticipation is strong. And that same anticipation happened at the first Christmas. Christmas is next week. That is the day where many Christians throughout the world, we celebrate the birth and coming of our Lord Jesus. This is a day that the Israelites in those days, they were longing for, and as a people, as a nation, they were eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come, the promised Messiah to come, to rescue them, to liberate them from their oppressors. And during the time of christ they were under the oppression of the roman empire and they have been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for god to send his promised messiah to come and it's been 400 years since i heard anything from god so they were waiting they were longing for this promised king and today we are looking at the matthew's account of jesus life right at the start of his gospel in the very first book of the New Testament. And to many of our modern ears, that is a very strange beginning. Very strange beginning. Matthew, and by extension, the New Testament, it starts with a genealogy Jesus' genealogy, a family tree of Jesus. What on earth is going on? I mean, why is he doing that? I mean, I can't think of a faster way to bore people to tears if you want to start a story with a genealogy, right? Immediately you start with a list of people. What was Matthew thinking? Well, we're going to find out. And one of the things that we want to do as Christians is that we have to remember this is also God's word to us. Even though we may only see it as a list of people's names, God is telling us something about Jesus, and if you're not a christian you're here it might be super confusing to you as you open up the new testament and read matthew chapter 1 but again i ask you to bear with me as i try to explain to you the significance of this family tree and hopefully at the end of the sermon you come uh, to recognize and see the meaning of this part of the scriptures so what, uh, what i'm going to do if you have your bibles turn with me to matthew chapter 1 i'll be reading from verses 1 to 17 now, if you have your own Bibles, it will be easier to follow along, but the passages will be behind me as well. Let me invite you to stand as I read from God's Word. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Raham. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother has been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheathiel. Sheathiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abihud the father of Eliakim. Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor the father of Zadok. Zadok the father of Achim. Akim the father of Elihud. Elihud the father of Eleazar. Eleazar the father of Mathan. Mathan the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. You may be seated. So what can we glean from this passage? Three points. Let's have a look. Point number one. The promised king has come. The promised king has come. Verse 1, let me read that again. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. That is a sentence loaded with significance, especially for an Israelite. Remember, they have been waiting for the promised Messiah to come. And by starting his Gospel account with this, Matthew is saying, Jesus, Jesus is this promised Messiah. Right? Reading this verse or this sentence is like us sitting in a cinema and then the screen comes on and we see Avengers Endgame title card. We know we're in for a ride. We know we are watching the climax of a story. This verse, this sentence is the same for the Israelites. This is the genealogy or the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And David and Abraham, they are two gigantic figures in the Old Testament, right? They're two major pillars holding up the Old Testament narratives. And they are major because God made promises to them. And we heard these promises read to us in our Bible reading, isn't it? First one, Genesis chapter 12, God gave Abraham a threefold promise Of land seed and blessing and this is god promising abraham that god himself will be his god and god of all his descendants and that they will be his people at first genesis 12 to abraham and then to david second samuel chapter 7 great promise of god to david that david's kingdom david's throne will be established forever There is going to be an offspring of David who will be ruling and serving God's people forever. And throughout their history, as they went through persecution and suffering and hardship, God would raise up a leader and rescue them as part of His fulfillment of these promises. But they keep running into problems. God's promises, God's blessings, well, they never seem to last. They always seem to fall into the hands of their enemies. And at the time of the New Testament, they are in the hands of the Roman Empire. And so at that time, they are eagerly longing and waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises. Promises to Abraham, promises to David. And this promised Messiah, that's why is known as the son of David and the son of Abraham. He will be the one who is going to fulfill, ultimately, all these promises that God made to Abraham and David they had the expectation that when He comes, He's going to come and liberate them from their oppressors. Just like how it's been done countless times before. And so when they read verse 1 of the Gospel account, they know, wow, this promised King has come. This Jesus, He's the promised Messiah. That time of longing and waiting is no more because Christ has come. The end game has come. Jesus is God's end game. The Israelites, they knew that. He is the Messiah. God has kept His promises. And those who are alive in those days, they can be a witness the redemption and salvation of the Israelites. After 400 years of silence from God, God comes, acts decisively, decisively to fulfill His promises in Christ. Right? The promised King has come. But unfortunately for the Israelites, this promised king is not like what they expected you see the problem is that they perceive their deepest problem is that they are being oppressed by another nation if you have a wrong diagnosis of your problems you will be looking for the wrong solutions the israelites were looking for a savior from their earthly oppressors and therefore they were longing for jesus to be the king will vanquish all their enemies on earth. If you have the wrong diagnosis of your problem, you will be looking for the wrong solutions. And I think that's been the story of the, our Western world for the past few decades. We have the wrong diagnosis of our problems, and we have been looking for solutions in all the wrong places. Let's say an example. In the last century, we thought our biggest problem is our repressive sexual ethics and morals, and therefore the solution is to liberate ourselves from that repressive sexual ethics. And from there, we have the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s, isn't it? Or, after that, people began to question and try to find the meaning of life. And they thought the solution is the accumulation of wealth or accumulation of power as much as they can. How did that work out for them? Or in the last few years, we think our biggest problem is that, you know what, we are not embracing our true sexual or gendered self. And therefore, there's a rise in transgenderism. The Israelites, they long for a savior to save them from their oppressors. What are you longing for? What kind of savior are you looking for? Health? Pleasure? Power? meaning in your life, relationships, significance in your life? Where are you finding the solutions of these longings of yours? What is your deepest longing? And what do you think your deepest problems are? Let me read you this quote from D.A. Carson. He wrote this from uh, his book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. He says, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin our alienation from Him, our profound rebellion, our death. And He sent us a Savior. So point number one, yes, the King has come, but what has He come for? It leads to our second point, this King, this promised King, has come for sinners. This promised King has come for sinners. That's from verses 2 to 16. And as you read through this genealogy, Matthew has, what Matthew has done with this genealogy is unusual. It is unusual in that he included four women in that list. Because in those days, when genealogies or family trees, when they are written down, they generally don't include the women. In this case, Matthew included four women. So these four women are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, which is Bathsheba. To the Israelites, there are two major problems. Two major problems on this. First is that these four women, they are most likely Gentile women. In a genealogy talking about the promised Messiah to the Israelites, it is remarkable that Matthew included Gentiles in the genealogy. What is Matthew trying to say? He's trying to show his readers that this promised king has come. He is not just the promised king for the Israelites. He is the promised king and Messiah to both Jews and Gentiles alike. Not just a king to the Israelites. He is the king of the Gentiles as well. There are Gentiles in this genealogy. And that's why it's not surprising to find right at the end of his gospel account, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, what does Jesus say? Go and make disciples of the Israelite nations. No, it doesn't say that. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. The message that the promised king has come is for both Jews and Gentiles is already right here, right from the get-go in the genealogy. And the second thing, the second thing the Israelites had a problem with uh, about these four women is that they had morally dubious reputation among the israelites they were thought of as sinners they were not considered to be morally upright they were sinners in the eyes of the israelites so take for example raham so her story can be found in joshua chapter 2 and in the whole book of joshua he's she's described as a prostitute three times in the book of joshua so even though the actions Uh, In her story, she saved two spies that Joshua himself sent out. The fact remains that the Israelites thought of her as a prostitute, and in their eyes, she was not a person of high moral character. They, these four women, they did not have good reputation among the Israelites. They were considered to be sinners. Matthew, he knew this, but yet he included these four women in the genealogy. And he is showing that this promised Messiah has come for sinners, both Jews and Gentiles alike. This promised king includes sinners in his kingdom, even Gentile sinners in his kingdom. And these four women, even though in their eyes, in the eyes of the Israelites, they did not have moral, high moral character, God worked through them to bring about the promised king. Even though they did not have perfect sinlessness, they were still included in the kingdom of God. In other words, the reign of this king who has come is a reign of grace. In fact, it will be a scandalous grace. It is scandalous, particularly to the Israelites in those days, because people of such poor moral reputation and poor moral character They are saved and included in the kingdom of this Messiah. That's outrageous. That's scandalous in their minds. How could a holy and righteous God have these sinners before Him and in His kingdom? Scandalous in their minds. But how could God have done that? It's because this promised King has come for sinners And the grace that he shows those who trust in him, in many senses, is absolutely scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. Now it is easy for us, in our Western world right now, to start thinking highly of ourselves when we compare our lives with these women, isn't it? Well, you may say, "Well, I've never been a prostitute. I've never..." In the case of Tamar, you can say, you know, I've never pretended to be a prostitute and sleep with my father-in-law. I've never done those things. I'm safe. I should not be considered a sinner. In fact, I'm a very reputable member of our society. I do a lot of good things. Right? I work in health sciences, health industry. I help people all the time. I work in retail, and I treat people really well, even though they might have been very rude to me. I work in engineering. I really love my colleagues and I treat them really well. And on and on and on. You get the point. But the fact of the matter is, on this list of the genealogy, every single person has sinned. Every single person. Now the fact of these four women, they were highlighted is because what the Israelites thought of them. But in the eyes of God, none of these people were perfect in fact take abraham and david once again major characters in the old testament they sinned terribly terribly because ultimately it's not about how we view ourselves or how others view us It's how an absolutely holy and righteous god views us and if we are honest with ourselves well none of us match up to god's standards In fact, we don't even match up with our own humanly standards. Let me give you a very quick recent example. One of the common things in our um, political discourse in recent years, either in the usual running of our government or election time, is that the politicians, they are far more keen to talk about one another and calling each other names than talk about actual policies. Have you noticed that? and the common thing to do in recent years is to really dig up dirt on you know the other party and expose them and the main reason why they do that is you know to show the public that the other person or the other party they are untrustworthy they want to destroy their credibility and therefore the public you should not vote for them don't listen to them and i was very tempted to give examples but i thought not to because i'm sure all of you can think of examples just You know, read the news every week. They just like to throw mud at one another. And it seems like no one is immune from this. And part of the issue is, no one is completely clean. No one is perfect. None of our leaders are perfect. And if we are honest, we are not perfect. We have sinned. And if that's the case, how can we stand before a holy and righteous God? How can we? It is because the promised king has come for sinners like you and me. That's how. And this king, he rules by grace, and we follow this king through scandalous grace, in fact. That's the only way we can stand before a holy and righteous God. He has come from sinners, for sinners. Let me read Matthew 121. A few verses down from our passage, this is the angel speaking to Joseph about Mary. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Our greatest need is our salvation from our sins. God knows that, and that is why this promised king has come from sinners offering scandalous grace to us. And part of what makes this grace scandalous, which is why we come to our third point, is that he gives us a new beginning. Our third and final point. This promised king has come to bring a new beginning. Verse 17. Let me read that verse again. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And notice what Matthew focuses on in, his, in this genealogy. It is not an exhaustive genealogy. He skips people. He crafts his genealogy very carefully and deliberately in the way that he presents Jesus' family tree to show that the story of Israelites under the theme of exile and return. For 14 generations, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile, and 14 from exile to Messiah. Now, that's a reason why he also uses 14 generations, the number 14. We don't have time for that. If you're curious, come and ask me after the service. But the division he uses is the exile. And the Israelites, they were driven out of their land into the land of Babylon as judgment from God for their idolatry and their sin And their exile from their land is a symptom, a picture, of their spiritual condition with God. Because of their sin, because of their idolatry, they were alienated from God and they received His judgment. And even though eventually they did return to the land, it was not a triumphant return. In fact, they sinned again. The Israelites never reached the same heights as they did under King David and King Solomon and eventually as we saw they came under the occupation of the roman empire and in the minds of all the israelites in those days they would still think of themselves under exile in exile they haven't heard from god for 400 years They're still anticipating the promised messiah and one of the things that you have to remember as well they have a number of false starts in their history right moses was so promising he led them out of slavery from egypt But then he sinned, he cannot enter the promised land. Saul, he started so well as the first king, he ends up sinning, and God took the throne away from him. David reunited the tribes. He was the first, in some sense, legitimate king of Israel. What happened there? He sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. And then Solomon came, wisest man in history. Yet he's so wise that his wives and concubines led him away from God. Time after time after time when there was someone who was so promising to fulfill God's promises to them, they failed. Again and again, they failed. Their supposed saviour failed them, never brought them to everlasting life in the promised land. And in many senses, that's our story today, isn't it? The supposed saviours of our world presented to us as the ones bringing us to the promised land in our lives, they fail us again and again. And when we reach that supposed promised land, we find it empty when we arrive. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, has a great picture of what this looks like. Let me read from that passage. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And notice this imagery and have dug their own systems, broken systems, that cannot hold water. They have dug their own system, systems, systems that can't hold water. Finding our saviors in this world is like desperately trying to hold water in a broken system. It's futile, it is impossible, but we try to do it anyway when we find our saviors in this world. That's what it feels like. But here in Matthew chapter 1, matthew presents jesus as this promised king who has come the one who will bring an end to the exile and bring everlasting blessing to the people a kingdom that will never perish he is a king who is going to come to bring a new beginning to sinners jews and gentiles alike so no matter how checkered your past is the king is coming to bring a new beginning to you the end and your exile away from God. And that means you're no longer pouring your lives into a broken system because Christ comes and he gives you a new one, a new life. And these four women that I mentioned in the genealogy, they have a new beginning in Christ. You can have a new beginning in Christ. The promised king has come to bring a new beginning like to sinners like you and me. So are you saying any sinners can receive a new beginning in christ yes even me who had a terrible past with substance abuse well, yes even me who had so many failed marriages or had sexual past sexual sin in my past yes or me who had huge pride and ego who i am and what i own yes even me who whom i feel that i don't deserve any love or grace whatsoever yes any and all sinners can come to christ and receive a new beginning now your external circumstances may not change immediately but when you put your faith in christ you are a new person new purpose in life you no longer live for yourself you live for king jesus but what does it cost to bring this new beginning the cost of this new beginning, for those who follow Christ, is nothing less than the death and resurrection of this king. And that's the scandal of the Christmas story. Right? This promised king, he has come for sinners, for Jews and Gentiles alike, to bring a new beginning for them. But the only way he can do that is to sacrifice himself, taking up upon himself the wrath that we deserve and being raised again from the dead, exalted as our king. All of that to save us from our sins. That's scandalous grace. That's scandalous grace. Sarah Irving Stonebreaker, she is a senior lecturer at Western Sydney U- University. She became uh, a Christian in her late 20s, and this is what she said when she found out more about the Christian faith. Christianity was also, to my surprise, radical, far more radical than the leftist ideologies with which I'd previously been enamored. The love of God was unlike anything which I had expected, or of which I could make sense. In becoming fully human in Jesus, God behaved decidedly unlike a God. Why deign to walk through death's dark death dark's valley or hold the weeping limbs of leper if you are God? Why submit to humiliation and death on a cross in order to save those who hate you? God suffered punishment in our place because of a radical love. This sacrificial love is utterly opposed to the individualism, consumerism, exploitation, and objectification of our culture. In other words, God's grace in Christ is absolutely scandalous. Let me end by bring us, bringing us back to the start of the sermon. I mentioned about Avengers Endgame, the endgame of a long decade-long project, and the people behind this project obviously wanted this climactic movie to be, to be the biggest movie of all time, to earn as much money as possible. And in that story, Thanos, the main villain, his end game is to eradicate half of all life in the universe, and his reason is that you know, If life is left unchecked, life will cease to exist because the resources in the universe is finite. So it's endgame to kill half of all life in the universe. And the studio's endgame is to make the biggest movie of all time. What is the endgame for King Jesus? What is the endgame for the Christmas story? And Matthew gives us hints right from the start from this genealogy. The promised king he has come and he's the one that the israelites were waiting for the fulfillment of god's promises to abraham and david but this is a king that defies all their expectations and all our expectations because this king has come for sinners and brings new beginning and instead of killing all of life in the universe jesus sacrificed himself so that those who believe in him Will have the greatest blessing in the whole universe. And so instead of us looking for saviors in the things or people of this world, God's purpose, God's end game in Christ is to bring sinners like you and I into His kingdom by His sheer scandalous grace. That's the Christmas story. Father God, we come before you. And once again, we want to recognize we are sinners in your sight, undeserving of your blessing, undeserving of your salvation, but yet you have sent Jesus to fulfill the promises you have made from long ago to save us sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike. That no matter what our past has been, we can have a new beginning in Him. What an amazing grace that is. Father, we celebrate Christmas every year. And every year there's so much fanfare around it. And many of them are good things. But Father, help us to never lose sight of what makes Christmas special. What is at the center. Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. help us to celebrate Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Can I invite you to stand with us as we sing?
5: Christmas is one of the times of the year that I really, really enjoy celebrating, and I pray and hope that's the same for you. Not because of, you know, all the festivities, but because we are remembering Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, who has saved us. If you have come here and you need prayer and you need someone to pray for you and with you, please feel free to come to the front, come to see me, Pastor David, and, and Pastor David uh, Peter is there as well. We are more than happy to pray with and for you as well. Let me send you off with this benediction. May God the Father who has sent us His promised King to save sinners be with you forever through the presence of His Spirit in His kingdom. Amen.